But we are continuing in our theme this year, Be True in 22. Be real, be genuine, be authentic followers of Jesus. What does that mean? And to, to give us guidance on that, we're, we're working through John's letters, the, the first epistle of John, second and third as well, we'll go into before the end of the year. This morning I want to remind you that we need to get real about some things. If we want to be genuine, authentic and real, we need to get real. It's an active participation. It's not just a sit back and let it happen. It's I commit to be involved in being real, being authentic as a follower of Jesus. And the passage this morning we're looking at is 1 John chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. So if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to follow along this as we go through. But I want to encourage us to get real by keep growing by keep growing in our faith and watching out for the world. And this is what John writes about in his letter to the uh, predominantly the Christians at Ephesus or the church at Ephesus because of the influence of the Gnostic teaching. You, you'll get used to hearing that word Gnostic over this series. It's that basically the teaching that says uh, the body or the flesh or the material is evil, the spiritual is good. So do what you like with the flesh but make sure you get the evil right. I have some friends that live that way these days. You, you, you probably don't know them, but you might have friends that are sim- similar. They will live how they like during the week and then they'll go to a particular service and confess all their sin and be right for the next week. Does it work that way? Yeah. I think it's a moment by moment, uh, working, walking with God, being real, genuine and authentic as we walk with God. So if you've got your Bibles there, I don't think I've got them up on the screen, the verses today, so I might have to just read them out and follow what I read. So initially in this part of John's letter, he explains the reasons again for writing this letter to his readers. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 12, I'm studying at. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Our sins are forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 14 says, I write to you dear children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Then he gives this warning about the world. And we'll go into this in a little bit. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. John is writing in this letter how they can know their salvation is secure, how they can know the one who provides salvation from disobedience and sin. And he's wanting to continue people along on their journey and grow them and encourage them to grow in their spiritual maturity. And he wants them to to not, not so much think of salvation as a goal to be achieved, but salvation is a lifestyle to, to live every day. Oh, 
I'm all over the place here, folks. I'm hitting, hitting the button when I shouldn't be. Like I said before, he wants us to know our salvation is real. He wants to know the truth about Jesus. He wants to know the love that we have in walking with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 6, one translation reads this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. The aim is to keep on growing in our faith. What we have is good, what we know is true, but we need to keep on growing in our faith. So John draws his listeners' attention to some self-tests, if you like, that they can do to determine, one, the assurance of their salvation, and secondly, to keep on growing in faith in this world that will try and deter that growth. So these are some of the things that John is saying in that, those verses that we've read. And I've jumped ahead of myself. Here they are again. I'm not going to read them again. Uh, but we'll get to the next screen. There we go. There are three things John says to remind or reinforce his readers that they need to remember if they are to grow in their faith and they are to resist the influence of the world. So we're going to look at those things. And the first thing he says in verses 12 and 14 is that we need to remember to grow. That just because we have placed our faith in Jesus, just because we've said, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for my disobedience, Lord, I want to go your way, not my way, that's not just the, all there is. That's, that's wonderful news to accept that and believe that, that our salvation is secure in, uh, in, in the things that Christ has promised us. But it's more than that. It's growing in our faith and trusting God for more things and, have, and to have a greater understanding. Verses 12 and 13, I will read these again because there's something important here. Verse 12, John says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. It's all about Jesus. We can't do anything about our sins on our own. It's because Jesus has forgiven us and we've just remembered that today in the communion time. I write to you, fathers, verse 13 says, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. And next one. You want to give it a shot there, move if you can? There. <laughs> I write to you, fathers, because you have known him as from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Three different groups of people John mentions in that passage, children, fathers, young men, and uh, they're not really talking about people. It's not really talking about people. It's talking about growth and maturity of believers in the church. And talking about stages of spiritual growth. I wonder if what stage you see yourself at. Do you see yourself as still a child of God in infancy? Do you see yourself as a uh, mature father or mature in, in, in your walk with God? Do you still see yourself in spiritual adolescence? I wonder where you see yourself as a follower of Jesus. Isn't it great to have new believers in Christ around. Isn't it great to have spiritual babies around? When was the last time you sat with somebody who just put their faith in Jesus? 
and had all these questions about faith, all these questions about the Bible, all these questions about whether there was all these wasted years before they came to faith in Jesus. That's an exciting time to have spiritual babies around, people who have just started their journey on spiritual growth. I find it thrilling to be able to point people back to the Bible and show them that God's got incredible promises that they can trust in and claim. He's got a future for them. He's got answers to their everyday situations. That's a great time for spiritual infancy, spiritual infants. What about the spiritual adolescence? This, this term here in the Greek is a generic term. It's not just talking about spiritual young men. It's not just talking about young men. It's a generic term which includes both young men and young ladies. And, and, and he's... John is talking to those whose theology is pretty, pretty much in place. They have an understanding of what's happened to them through their salvation but who, who need to mature in their love for the truth. So they're to have a growing love for the truth. And then spiritual maturity or fathers, again a generic term, speech, speaks of a level of maturity which they've come to know God. Not know him in his entirety because that's impossible, but they've come to know God in, in a greater way, a personal way, an intimate way. I have no doubt that John, in writing to the Ephesians and, and the believers of his day, would have understood that they would have been through a tough time. Persecution, false teachings in the church, and yet they'd still come out of that trusting in God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's grace. And he wants his readers to, or his listeners to evaluate at whatever stage in the Christian life they're at that they need to remember. Just like um, uh, Dave reminded us this morning, they need to remember what God has done for them. You might paraphrase what John has said like this. To the new believers, remember that your sins are forgiven and you know God. Knowing that God has forgiven all your sins and that he is your heavenly father is foundational to your spiritual life. To the growing believer, you are learning to live in victory over temptation. Continue to take in the word and grow strong. To the mature believer, you have come to a point in your walk that you realise that it is all about simply knowing God. So wherever you are in your Christian walk with God today, I want you, God wants you to be encouraged He wants you to continue to grow more. It's a choice we make. We just don't sit back and say, I hope none of us say I know it all because it's a lifelong learning experience walking with God. But he wants us to have that, make that choice to progress from from infancy to adolescence to maturity as we allow God's transforming word to have its way in our lives. So we need to remember to grow. That's the first thing that John's writing to the believers. And I, as an exercise, you might take some time to think back over the past year or the past couple of years or the past five years or however long it is that you've walked with Jesus and believed in Jesus and ask yourself the question, do I see growth in my faith over those years? Am I trusting God more now than I did some while ago? If the answer is no, then make a choice. Lord, I want to grow closer to you. I want to grow more like Jesus. I want to be real in my walk with God. It's your choice. No one can make you do it. No one can twist your arm. 
But John's encouragement to us today is to remember to grow. Don't just stagnate. Remember to grow. And the second thing which I'll probably major on this morning is that he wants us, oh, good on you, John, I'm catching up with my uh, PowerPoints. He wants us to watch out for the world. What does that mean? Uh, There's this persuasive influence of the media in our lives today, whether it be live TV or internet or whatever, but I don't know if you sense it, but I sense it that there's this tug on every side of us to draw us away from growing spiritually, from growing closer to God. Um, There's been political movements in our country and around the world to influence education, uh, to, to take the faith aspect of knowing God and following God out of our education system. There's been influence in in family life to downplay the importance of the roles of father and mother and family. And some of that has been legislated. There's been influence in in, in marriages to say that that, um, marriage no longer has to be between a man and a woman. There's all this influence from our world that is creeping into our lives and we're affected by. John is saying in verse 15, he says there, Watch out for the world. He says this. He says, oh, I've lost it. Lost it, lost it. For every, uh, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him, in him. So this encouragement to not be affected by the world. Stop loving the world, he could say. The, the importance of the emphasis of the word is present tense. It's, it's, it's doing it now. Stop now loving the world. Don't go on loving the world. What do we mean by the world? I think this is a good study. Often the world has three different meanings in the scriptures. I want to go over those so that we understand clearly what God's saying to us from his word. The first thing that we often think about is the um, physical earth, the world, the planet that we live on. John is saying don't love the planet. He's not, sorry, he's not saying don't love the planet. That's not what this world is, is talking about here. In fact, God gives us commands that we should look after this planet. In fact, God created the planet. Remember this verse from Acts chapter, oh, Acts chapter 17? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and he doesn't live in temples built by hands. He lives in this world. He lives in our lives. The second thing the world can mean is humans or mankind. Uh, you might have heard of the term the brotherhood of man. Well, that's the second meaning of the word, world. And we know that as uh, Dave mentioned earlier in John 3.16, that God loves this world, humankind. He loves this world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God loves people. In fact, we're commanded to love people. This is not the world that John is talking about in his letter. Christians are to love the world. We're to seek to share the good news of Jesus with the world because God loves mankind. But the third aspect or the third definition of the world is really what John's speaking about here. The world system. And you've heard me mention this in the past. We might might, uh, see an advertisement on TV that says uh, 
the, the wide world of sports or the uh, motoring uh, world. It's not talking about physical things, it's talking about the system that's involved in that, the system that governs sports or the system that runs the sports, the system that runs the motor racing. And this is what John is speaking to. This word, word world is cosmos. It's the world system. It's that organised system that can, can make up its own activities, that makes up its own purposes, makes up its own system of values. That's the world that John is saying, don't love the world system. Don't get caught up in the world system. Why does he say that? Because the world system is hostile to the kingdom of God. Have you noticed that lately? The world system, and you've heard me say it before, which is one of selfishness, rather than the kingdom of God, which should be one of selflessness, the world system is hostile to, to the kingdom of God. Warren Wearsbury, one of the Bible commentators that I read a lot, says this, and I think I've got his... Yep. A Christian is of necessity a member of the human world, and he lives in the physical world, but he is to find his values in the spiritual world system. And that's the kingdom of God, the spiritual world system. It's always our tendency to love the world, the things in this world, the, the material things. That's always our tendency. Um, and, and we've got to make a choice. The, the exhortation is to love the world system, as, oh sorry, love the system and the kingdom of God rather than loving the things in this world. And he goes on in the next couple of verses, verses 15 and 16, with an explanation of what he means. This is what he says. In verse 15, I'll read it again. If anyone loves the world, the love of God of the Father is not him. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of his eyes and the boasting what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world system. You can add in there. The world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So what are these things? The lust of the flesh which is that physical pressure, the things that we need to have or that we want. The lust of the eyes is that mental pressure, the things that we think about, the things that motivate us and there's the pride of life which is the spiritual pressure whether we choose to follow God's way or our own way or other influences. Each of these things has its own appeals and and, and normal appetites if you like and each person in their own way attempts to satisfy, attempts to satisfy those things but God says don't get caught up in them. What is this lust of the flesh? What is this lust of the flesh? Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21 says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division. These are the things. One other translation says... uh, Drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Anyone living that sort of life, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I 
I wonder if there are people in our congregation, in our sphere of influence, that are living some of those things out because they're caught up in the world system rather than God's system, which is the kingdom of God. If God puts his hand on your shoulder and says, do something about it today, I'd be happy to pray with you at the end of the service. So the lust of the flesh is all those things. The lust of the eyes uh, is, is, are those greedy cravings that wants whatever you see. Gee, I wish I had that. Gee, I wish I had that. I would like to have that. Both this lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes deal with a desire to have what you do not presently have. We get caught up in that, don't we? And this pride of life, it talks about the pride in what one does, a pride that leads to overconfidence that makes one lose any notion that they are dependent on God. It's the ego pride, if you like. It's the ego success that we're talking about here. We've seen it all before. If you've read the Bible in the past, I'm sure you have, we've seen it before in Genesis chapter 3 in the story of Adam and Eve and the, and the serpent. All those things. What did, she, what did the, uh, Eve see that was good with her eyes? The fruit. What did she see that was good to taste? The fruit. Or was told it was good to taste, the lust of the flesh. And her desire, the pride of life, was to be the same as God to know what God knows. So we've heard that before. Even Jesus' temptation in the desert when he was taken out into the desert, Satan attacked him on those very same things. Command these stones to become bread, lust of the flesh. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, lust of the eyes. And he offered, I will offer all these things to you, the pride of life. We have to be careful that even though we may enjoy life and all the things that it brings, that we don't succumb to the world system which says these are the only things to do. God's got a plan. He can use all those things in our lives for really good things as long as they're not selfish. As long as they're not selfish. So we need to resist or watch out for this world. Some reasons not to love the world. That's the third thing I want to talk about this morning. And God gives, uh, John gives two reasons in verses 15 to 17. And this is what he says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I, I don't want to lose the love of the Father. I don't want to be without the love of the Father. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has done comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Reasons not to love the world. First of all, you're putting the Father, God the Father, outside of your life. The attractions of this world are taking precedence over what God wants for you. Worldliness is a matter of the heart. He points, John points out that our love for the world and love for the Father are not compatible. They don't work side by side. If a Christian loves the world system, then the love of God will not be in him. In Matthew chapter 6, 24, Jesus reminds us of this. Where are we? Ah, 
No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's not saying money's evil. He's not saying there's no place for it. He said if it takes priority over serving God, that's the issue. No one can serve two masters. There's this differentiation between the things of God and the things of this world. We have to be careful that we are not pushing God out by making worldly things our priority, by by allowing this world system to take over. The second thing that John says, uh, the second reason that we should not love the world, that we should watch out for the world, is that this world is temporary. This world system is not going to continue on. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back again and that this world system will pass away. Peter refers to that in in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. This world is on its way out. The world system. God's got a new world planned. I'm looking forward to that one. It's based on a totally different system. It's based on the system of the kingdom of God. But we need to be sure that we are focused on that system that God is calling us to. Someone has said this, we pin pin our hopes on what this world has to offer. We are in much the same situation as the passengers aboard the ship Titanic. We are having a great time, but the great time may be shorter than we think. And they were having a great time, but it it ended pretty quickly. So my question for you today is, what are you pinning your hopes on? uh, What's your purpose for living this life? Are you sure that you have pinned your hopes on something that will last? So John says, be growing in your spirituality, be growing in your faith. Watch out for the world. Watch out that the world system doesn't uh, impede on your life. We need to live in the world physically, there's no doubt about that. But we are commanded to, to not be of the world spiritually. I love this illustration. We're like scuba divers. Anybody been scuba diving? Yeah, in my younger years I was a scuba diver. We must survive in an alien environment. Scuba divers survive in an alien environment. We can never afford the luxury of being careless. As a scuba diver you check and you check and you recheck again. All the safety things. We need to be careful what we give our attention and our heart to in this world. We need to keep growing in our faith. We need to watch out for the world. Like I said, if God has touched you on your shoulder or, or challenged you in your mind and heart about something that you need to put right with him, there will be an opportunity after we finish the service to come and pray. I'm happy to pray with you and guide you as to how God wants you to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We thank you that you are actively searching out those whose hearts are right in this world. You're actively searching out those who are surrendered to you. Father, I pray that your spirit will be constantly reminding us of the 
encroachment of the world system in our lives and how we need to put you first, dear God, that your kingdom needs to come first. Father, it's not easy. It's a challenge. We know that, it's, that life it was, it will be a battle until Jesus comes again. And we ask for your strength, we ask for your wisdom uh, and we ask for your peace in it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.